Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. I would start small, start local from a real estate standpoint. Start small, start local, pick a niche, whatever it is, whether it's single family rentals, whether it's apartment buildings, whether it's commercial, whatever you want to do, land development, Find that niche, focus on it, outsource, and build that and scale that and grow that. Best ever listeners, where are you going to be on February 22nd and 23rd? I am visualizing that you're going to be in Denver, Colorado, because that's where the best ever conference is, and that's when it is, February 22nd, 23rd. Go to besteverconference.com and even put in take five so you get 5% off your ticket. So that is T-A-K-E and the number five whenever you purchase your ticket. And buy now because ticket prices go up weekly. So go to besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference, the agenda, the speakers. We've got an incredible speaker list focused on commercial real estate. So that includes five plus units if you're in multifamily. And you're going to get a lot of value from this conference. Go to besteverconference.com. It's the third time we've done it. It improves every year and we have raving reviews. I'm not just saying it. Ask people who have attended every year. Besteverconference.com. Enter TAKE5, T-A-K-E-5, when you purchase your ticket and get an extra 5% off. Ticket price is going up weekly, so get it today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today, Greg Dickerson. How you doing, Greg? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing great and nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Greg. He is an entrepreneur, real estate investor, and developer. Over the past 20 years, he's bought, developed, and sold over $200 million in real estate. He started 12 different companies from the ground up based in Charlottesville, Virginia. So with that being said, Greg, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, that sounds fancy way of describing adult ADD, right? So um, <laughs> I, I like to stay busy. That. Yeah, yeah. So I like to stay busy. I started out as a builder in 1997, remodeling contractor, just me, my truck and tools and doing 250000 my first year in the handyman remodeling business and built it into a $30 million company over the course of about seven years. And most of those other companies I built and started along the way during that seven to 10 year span that I was doing those other things. And they were mostly ancillary to the construction business as I progressed from a remodeling handyman guy to a general contractor building spec houses and custom homes down in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. 
some of those other companies were like electrical company, plumbing company, hurricane shutter company, pool spas and landscaping, had a couple of restaurants, had a gymnastics, trampoline, cheerleading school. So just kind of a small community. People knew that I was successful at what I was doing. So a lot of people were either struggling in their business or they were selling something to me like the hot tub guy. And they would approach me and say, hey, you know, I want to start my own company. Will you help me? So that's how I kind of got involved in a lot of those other businesses along the way. So I like to build things. I like to coach people, mentor people and grow companies. So I'm systems oriented. So my company was on autopilot and it gave me the time to allocate to help other people grow their businesses and build their businesses. So it's kind of what I like to do. How many of those 12 are you still an owner in? None of them. So I built them all up over the years and sold them off. Pretty much everything that I do, I build it and sell it. I don't really like to hold on to anything. And they were smaller companies. So it it sounds great, but the plumbing company was a million dollar company. My building company was the biggest at 30 million. Pool spas, landscaping company was probably three or four million a year. The restaurants were two, three million dollar a year businesses. So they were smaller businesses. So I'd get them up, get them going to where they would sustain and income and sell them off and usually finance them over a five-year period. Which one was the least profitable or lost money? Well, none of the businesses lost money. They were all profitable. Probably the cheerleading trampoline gymnastics school, that was a nonprofit. So that was a guy that had a program and I took him under my wing and built it up and basically took that nonprofit. I guess the restaurants, I never made any money in the restaurants. Those were kind of like break even. Mm -hmm. What happened with the restaurant process where it didn't make money compared to the other nine or so that did? Slippage. So the restaurant industry, you have a lot of slippage. You have a lot squeezing nickels out of pennies. You have to do a lot of volume, takes a lot of employees, and there's a lot of theft in that business. And I had kind of the wrong people that I backed. And basically, I had one venture that did lose a little bit of money, but it's just a very difficult business. And if you're not there, you don't have the right people in it. It's tough. Slippage. I know the term, but will you define it? Because I haven't heard it in a little while, and I'm just a little rusty on slippage. Yeah, in any business, you have slippage, and especially in the retail and restaurant industry, you almost factor it as a cost of doing business. So that's theft in the retail industry, and it is theft and waste in the restaurant industry, whether it's somebody giving away food and drinks to their friends or taking it home or just flat out taking it out the back door. And (laughs) I worked in restaurants, so I didn't go to college. I joined the Navy right out of high school. And the only two things I've done in my life prior to joining the Navy and after were restaurants and construction. And I was working in a restaurant when a contractor that was building an addition onto the building hired me to come clean up after him. And that's how I got into the construction industry. I'm a hard worker. So he asked me to help him on some other projects. And I kind of learned from him and always had two jobs. I always worked construction during the day and worked in restaurants at night. So I knew the restaurant business and I knew how to make money in it, but it's a different animal and it takes a lot of focus. It's a controlled theft business. So that one really have to be hands-on. Which business out of the 12 was easiest to scale and remove yourself from the operations? That was the building company once I figured it out. So when I started out, I was doing everything myself, and then I hired another guy to work with me in the field, and then another guy after that, and I was doing everything. I was making all the sales calls, doing all the estimating, running and getting materials, and swinging the hammer in the field. And it was great because I learned from my employees from the ground up, and I'm a leader, delegator, motivator. I have no problem turning over control and delegating. So as I built that company, I would bring on more people, and once I got to three people in the field, I stepped out of the day-to-day of working on the jobs. 
and I just ran different projects. And then I hired a couple of more people, split the crews up, and hired a superintendent to manage the jobs so that all I did all day long every day was run up and down the road giving out estimates. So where I was at on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, it was very linear, north to south. So I had my office manager just kind of dispatch me, and I would just go on sales calls. And this was back in the day of analog phones and beepers. And I would show up on somebody's property, and I would give them a handwritten estimate right there on the spot. Then I'd go to the next one. And I'm a guerrilla marketer, so I would go to 20 or 30 of these things a day and just giving estimates for whatever, decks, additions, ground floor enclosures with pools, just any number of things before I started building houses. So I had about 20 employees full-time in-house. We were doing, at that point in the remodeling, we were three years in doing about two and a half million. So we went 250 the first year, 750 the second, million two, two and a half, 7 million, 12 million, and then 30 million. That's kind of how it progressed over a seven-year period. 12 million to 30? Exactly. And that's when I started building houses. So I got away from doing little remodel jobs, turned all my employees into subcontractors, started outsourcing everything and started building a half a million to million and a half, $2 million houses. So 30 million sounds like a lot, but it was really only about 20 to 30 projects that year when we hit that $30 million mark. And they were big projects. How much of so, that is profit? Usually about 20% is what you can bring down to the bottom line. Gross profit, then after overhead and all that, you're going to net about 10% before taxes. Okay. So it wasn't a bad year. That was a really good year. I figured it out. I knew how to make money. And then that was around 04, 05. And we started to see the downturn. That was the peak of our market. That's when things started to change a little bit. So I sold that building company and sold a lot of the properties that I had at the time. And at that time, I was building spec houses. I was building custom homes for people, big million dollar plus beach houses that they rent during the summer. And these things are like little apartment buildings. Some of these houses do two, $300,000 a year in income. And you keep about 65% of that to contribute towards debt service. So your operating costs are about 35% on these houses down here. And they're just turnkey automatic. There's no collections, evictions, vacancies. People just come year after year. They book a year in advance. They're just thoroughbreds. They're unbelievable machines. So when you're building them as a spec house, if it doesn't sell, you always rent it. So there really is no downside to a spec house in a resort rental market like that. And there's several of them, but the Outer Banks is kind of unique in the amount of money they generate in the management fees. So it was pretty easy. And one of the things that I got into is I would buy oceanfront hotels and tear them down and build houses back in their, in their place. You know, the little one-story travel lodge kind of a thing. And those oceanfront houses were the ones that generated the most income. So that's kind of how I got into the high-end market. I would buy a hotel, tear it down, flip the lots to an investor and build the houses for them, or I would build my own. So that's kind of how I progressed along and grew the company so fast. But I had 20 employees. It was all management. There was me. I had a chief financial officer. I had the president of the construction company. Underneath him was a vice president of construction. We had six superintendents in the field, and they all had assistants. And then we had our design team in-house. I had a draftsman designer who was drawing all the houses and doing the plans. And then we had a design coordinator. So that was our team at $30 million, and it represented about a million-dollar overhead, which compared to the sales was pretty good. How'd you find the buyer? For the houses? No, for your company. Oh, 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 so it was a guy that was working for me. So he worked for another company and he had gone into selling real estate and he was working for me as a real estate broker and decided he wanted to get back into building. And I told him, well, I was thinking about retiring and this was 2004 or five. So I'm 51 now. 
So how many years ago was that? About 12 years ago, I guess. So I was in my late 30s, early 40s and <laughs> thinking about retiring. So I financed the company for him and he stepped into my shoes and, and took it over. And ultimately, he ended up getting put out of business in 2009, just kind of like everybody else around here. And he had bought it on a five-year finance, right? Five years financing the company? Yeah, exactly. And I had worked a deal with him to where I was out of it before 2009. So I sold to him 0405. I was out of it probably, that was a three-year deal on that one. Okay. And how do you structure those deals whenever you sell your company? It was different for each one. Some of them had assets and some of them didn't. The building company had a lot of assets. So there was an immediate transfer of assets for a sum, and then there was a balance that was paid out over three years monthly on the big company. On the smaller companies, usually it was just a lump sum cash out because they weren't that big and I didn't have that much in them. It was just mainly time and I was just trying to help the individuals. So like the pool spa landscaping company, I think that one did have a building that went with it. So he bought me out of the building and that was two, $300,000. It wasn't a lot. The plumbing company, I think that was about $150,000 payout, just lump sum kind of a thing. He had worked it for five years, and then I just had a lump sum at the back end. And I collected a paycheck along the way as well. So I don't know, 800 bucks a week or something like that that I collected off that company during the time. How do you identify an opportunity that you want to get involved in? From a business standpoint, usually it was somebody that would just come to me. So it just kind of fell in my lap. Amazingly enough, a lot of the deals that I've done in my career that made a lot of money, they just fell in my lap. The first hotel that I ever did that kind of launched my high-end real estate and construction background, it was my next-door neighbor. So he was going to buy this hotel with two of his friends. They were going to tear it down and build eight-bedroom oceanfront rental houses, which at the time would do about 150000 a year in rent. And the land was worth about $400,000, or at least that was their purchase price. You could build those houses for about six or 700 grand at the time, turnkey furnished. So you'd be in them for a little over a million and they would do 150 grand in rent. So you can do that math real quick. They were just really good investments. So they got cold feet and I was his next door neighbor. I had bought a lot next door to him to build a house on. That's how I met him. He owned a bunch of Dairy Queens down here in hotels. And he told me about the deal and said his partners were backing out. Would I like to do it? And I said, sure. He said, give me 10 grand and it's yours. That's all I have in it right now for earnest money. So I took the $10,000 deposit to his attorney. I got the contract. It was for $1.2 million for three oceanfront lots. So a friend of mine who was a realtor had a client. So he brought a client to the table that I flipped all the lots to, made $80,000 on that, just flipping the lots to him once the hotel was tore down. And then I built him three 12-bedroom rental houses, which were the largest houses ever built in Nags Head at the time. And those things ended up doing about $240,000 in rent. So I gave him a really good deal. I built all three houses for cost plus $150,000 flat fee because I built them all at the same time. So I think he ended up with 800000 in each of the houses. I sold him the land for one point two plus 80000 so $1.3. So each of those houses, he had about $1.5, $1.6 in land and house, mm-hmm. and they were doing $250,000 a year in rent. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. He kind of yeah. retired on that deal. He was a <laughs> Pella window distributor in Virginia, and he sold that company and got into the real estate game <laughs> after that. And then probably lost it. So. Yes. 2009, he he got wiped out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you structure an agreement with someone who has an opportunity? Maybe it's the, did you say hot tub company? Did I hear that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Pool, yeah, it was a pool spa. we'll go with that. Pool hot tub tub company. They come to you, they say, hey, I have an idea. What's your structure with them? 
In his case, he said, we can start this business and you can buy the hot tubs direct. It'll save you a bunch of money because I was buying 30 or 40 hot tubs and pools for every one of my houses at the time every year. So basically, we just laid it out an agreement where we were 50-50 partners. I was the marketing investment capital. We would agree on how much capital we were going to invest. We found a building, bought the building together. I put up the money and we split the equity in the building, but the company made all the payments. And he found the building. It was an owner finance deal. He got an owner to finance us for 30 years on this commercial building that was basically a wreck. So we went in there and renovated it and did a bunch of landscaping. And I put up the money for all of that. So the company had to pay back that initial capital investment. And then we were just 50-50 partners. He ran the company, did everything from day to day, and he got a paycheck for doing that. So we structured what his salary was going to be, what his role was going to be. And we had an agreement. We had a partnership agreement. And it was a corporation. We were both stockholders in that corporation. And we were 50-50 owners in that real estate, which was separate from the company. We owned the real estate personally. Company paid us, so we were the landlords. And he got a salary, but I didn't. I got equity. So we would split the profits, and I'd get a check every month from him. So that was a pretty good deal. So that's how we did that one. The plumbing company was a little different. He was a plumber that worked for me, and it was him. And he had a helper, one truck. And he was struggling, and he was about ready to go out of business. And I really liked him, and I was having trouble getting plumbers. This was back in the pre 2004, 2005 boom. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll buy your company. I'll pay off all your debts. I think it was 25, 30 grand in debt, something like that. And I said, we'll grow your company. I'll instantly go out. I'll buy five or six trucks. If you tell me you've got the help and you can get the mechanics, I'll buy the trucks. We'll get them lettered up. We'll put them on the road instantly overnight. You'll be the largest plumbing company down here in this area. So he had the plumbers. He had the mechanics lined up. There was another company that was going out of business. The owner had a drug alcohol problem. And those guys were all looking for jobs. So we told them what we were doing. So I bought his company. I took over the corporation, which looking back, that was a mistake. I never should have done that. I should have just started a new one. But I went ahead and took over there, his corporation. Were there liens paid on off all or his, something? No, there weren't any liens. It's just that there could have been. And okay. that was a clean transaction because I knew all of his debts and there were no issues. But you just never know. You never know what could be creeping in the bushes. And we'll right. fast forward to that in a second. So I bought out the corporation. I purchased the stock paid off all his debts, bought six or eight trucks, put them on the road. And instantly he started doing all of our work, started doing a bunch of other service work. He became the largest plumber in the area and went from a couple hundred thousand a year to a million a year, pretty much overnight. And I hired him a bookkeeper, coached him, put systems in place. I took a paycheck of a thousand dollars a week. He was paid a salary and I owned the company at that point. So fast forward now, five years down the road, he's ready to buy it back. I sold him the company. I don't know, it was a hundred, 150 grand, something like that and transferred the stock back to him. And this is where the bite is. So after all that had happened, we go through 2009, he ends up getting put out of business. Well, one of the plumbing supply houses that I had a personal guarantee on when I owned the company, they tried to do a clawback on me. Now I'd sent him a letter, remove myself as a personal guarantor when I sold the company back to him, but they still tried to come after me. Mm-hmm. And I still had to dig that document up and prove the letter that I sent to them and that they had sent to me, removing me as a personal guarantor. So from that point on, I said, I'll never do another stock purchase again. I'll just own a company like that. I'll just start a new corporation, start over and let the dust settle on the other stuff. Fascinating. I love hearing about this. And when you come across an opportunity, what does your process look like for the turnaround? Well, it depends on what it is. So the first thing is just like real estate, right? I got to have an exit strategy in mind. So when you look at a company, you got to look at, okay, what is the future of this company? What does the market look like? 
can it scale? And at my stage in life, I'm only interested in doing something that I can scale very quickly and easy that's not super capital intensive. So you got to evaluate the market. What's the demand? How scalable is this business? What is the longevity of it, the life cycle of it? And it may or may not even need to be a long-term plan. It could be a short-term play that's kind of a niche market right now that may not even be here a year or two from now. So it just all depends on what it is. But it's just like a real estate deal. You say, okay, what's the market look like? What is the demand? How can I scale this? How quickly can I scale it? What's it going to take from a capital standpoint? What's it going to take from my time? Because at this point in the game, what I supply is intellectual capital. So I bring experience and expertise to the table in exchange for equity. You know, that's what I do with companies now. Now, I do bring capital, but not my own. There's plenty of capital out there looking for opportunities, especially if it's something you can scale when it comes from an equity standpoint for companies in real estate, which is what your show is all about. So it works kind of the same way as a real estate deal. It's really interesting. It's just a few more different moving parts. You got to vet it a little differently because if you're buying an existing company or going in, you got to look at their books, you got to look at the principles, and you got to look at what they're doing, how they operate what their philosophies are. Can you even work with these people? Can they work with their people? Are they coachable? So there's a lot of factors that come into play when you're buying or building a company versus just doing a real estate deal. Based on your experience as an entrepreneur, what's your best real estate or entrepreneur advice ever? From an entrepreneurial standpoint, my best advice ever is pour into yourself and become a leader, delegator, motivator. Because to build a company, that's what you have to be. You have to be able to delegate. You have to be able to lead. You have to be able to motivate people. And you have to, number one, be sincerely interested in the success of others. And the only way to do that and to do that well is you got to build yourself first. You got to pour into yourself and you have to become a great leader. And you do that by learning and you do that by doing and you do that by modeling others in the industry. So from an entrepreneurial standpoint, that's what I would look at first. What do your leadership abilities look like? And what do you need to do to get to the next level? From a real estate standpoint, I would say focus is 100% of the game. So looking at my own career, going back, if I could do it all over again, I would have never built a construction company. I would have started right out of the gate with bigger deals and outsourcing everything because that's what I do now. I hire builders to work for me now. I hire realtors to work for me now. So instead of doing it myself from the ground up, I would hire and outsource and leverage other people's abilities and expertise and time and do it that way, kind of like I did with the companies. I just never did that in my own business. I did have the business that I put on autopilot ultimately, but I spent seven years getting to the point to where that thing was on autopilot. So from that point on, I've learned to outsource and leverage. So I would start small, start local from a real estate standpoint, start small, start local, pick a niche, whatever it is, whether it's single family rentals, whether it's apartment buildings, whether it's commercial, whatever you want to do, land development, find that niche, focus on it, outsource and build that and scale that and grow that. That's what I would do. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, best ever conference. That's where you want to be, February 22nd and 23rd in Denver, Colorado. Put in the code TAKE5, T-A-K-E, and the number 5 to get an extra 5% off. Ticket prices go up weekly, so buy it today, besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference at the website all about the speakers. You can read about them and what you will experience when you're there. Besteverconference.com. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart. Get the word out about their cause 
and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever book you've recently read? Recently, Principles by Ray Dalio. Best ever transaction you've done? Oceanfront Hotel that made $520,000 with zero money out of my pocket. Please elaborate. (laughs) So that was a deal where the guy owned a property. It had four oceanfront lots and two across the street. And we were going to do a joint venture. He was going to throw the land in. I was going to bring the money to build the houses. And I was going to do the building. And we were going to split the profits. And he had a small note on the property that needed to be paid off. This was pre-2009, probably 2007, 2008, somewhere in that time frame before the crash. Well, somewhere around 2008, I started sensing something was off. And I came to the guy and I said, look, let's just sell these oceanfront lots, clear out the note. We'll each put two, 300 grand in our pocket. We'll have the property across the street. We can develop that. We'll have it free and clear and hedge our risk. And he said, okay, great. We were going to build townhouses or something across the street. So we do that. I ended up putting $351,000 in my pocket. This is a joint venture agreement. I didn't have any money. This was just a joint venture agreement. He owned the land. I was going to do everything else. So we sold the oceanfront parcels to a developer out of Virginia, and I put $351,000 in my pocket on that. Then we had the property across the street, and as I started going along on that, same thing. I said, look, let's just sell this. We'll put cash in our pocket, move on, we can do some other deals. So we sold that. That was another $125,000 each, and uh, and that was was, it. It was was his land? It was his land. And your role was to build, but you suggested let's just sell it without building. Exactly. And when he said, well, sure, I'll sell it, but – Hey, (laughs) get out of here. This is my land, so I'll get all the profits. What did you say to that? Right. So that was at the end of the deal when he looked at how much money I made. But I had to tear down an oceanfront hotel. I had to settle a lawsuit that he had with a previous partner that he tried to develop condos. This was a hotel that got destroyed by the hurricane, and he tried to turn into condos. I told him he couldn't do it. So he went down a two-year path with somebody, and I had to settle that lawsuit with them, get the thing tore down, and then I brought the buyer to the table. So... There was a lot of value that was created, but he did say that at the end of the deal. Him and his attorney both are like, you know, you could have hired a realtor to do all this for you for a commission. (laughs) And I said, well, that's easy to say, but I did it. I did it quickly, made it happen, and it was an interesting thing. So that was probably the easiest money I've ever made in my life. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Probably another oceanfront hotel where we had a seller that tried to back out of the deal, and it was an escalating market. I had the property under contract for $4 million. It was worth $6 million. The week that we were supposed to close, they had other developers that found out that I had the property under contract, went back door to the sellers, offered them $2 million more that I had a contract to pay. So they told us they weren't going to sell us the property the week that we were going to the closing table. And instead of just going to the closing table and forcing them to close, I filed a lawsuit instead. So that took two years, $250,000 to settle, but we won. And we got the property and it all worked out, but I should have just went to the closing table. You should have went to the closing table, but they wouldn't be there, right? Well, they might have. So I think what the attorney said through the process was that if I had showed up to close, they probably would have just done the deal. So you never know, but I should have at least tried. 
because yeah. the, the thinking was they would have probably went ahead and closed. And they were sophisticated. This was a family that had sold property to Walmart in their history, and they'd owned this hotel for a long time. So they knew what they were doing. And they were rolling the dice thinking that one of us was going to die or give up or quit over the two-year period of dragging a lawsuit out over them. It was pretty cut and dry. When we went to court, we won hands down. The jury took them five minutes to fill out the paperwork and come back, and we bought the property. So they still got their $4 million. Hmm. Okay. That's an interesting story. What is the best ever way you like to give back? I love coaching people, helping people grow their business, helping people learn from my mistakes and my lessons that I've learned. I mean, I did it all the hard way from the ground up. Like I said, I didn't go to college. I built it all through hard work and through hard lessons and educating myself. I am self-educated, and I'm a constant lifelong learner. But I love to pour into other people. I love to help other people build companies, do real estate deals, become successful, and avoid the mistakes and the pitfalls that are out there. I just hate to see the horror stories out there when people get in over their heads and they just don't know what they're doing. On that note, what's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? My website is gregdickerson.com, and all my info is on there. It's greg at gregdickerson.com is my email, and 434 326 3903. That's my mobile number. I can answer it and call me anytime. And I'm completely outsourced and I run the roads looking at deals and creating opportunity and I'm always available. Greg, I loved our conversation. I loved hearing about how you have invested and built businesses in real estate and outside of real estate, how you've applied those lessons to what you're doing now and how you're focused on personal development. What is the best ever way you develop yourself personally? I should have asked you that. Mostly through reading and listening to podcasts like yours, YouTube. There's a lot of great information out there, but mainly for me, it was reading. I don't have one song in my iPhone. It's all audiobooks, and I never have. I've got an iPod, 80 gig, old school iPod with a dial on it. I have never, ever owned music. I've always owned books on tape, books on CD, books on the iPod, now books in my iPhone, and I listen to them Whenever I drive, I listen to them. When I'm walking, exercising, that's what I do. I constantly pour into myself, read, listen to other people, talk to other people. I do a lot of listening and a lot less talking. When I'm networking, I seek out others. I look for the wisdom of others, and I'm always trying to learn from others. But the best books I've ever read, where it all started, was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Power of Positive Thinking, and Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. Those are my three first books that really opened my eyes to business entrepreneurship and the ability to do whatever you set your mind to. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Enjoyed our conversation. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me, Joe. I enjoyed it. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out.